right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15 as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. And today, as we turn to Matthew 15, I've got a remarkable passage for you this morning. This is a good morning for you to be here. This is a good morning for those who are in attendance and for those who are online. You're going you're gonna to really love this passage. There is a miracle here, and that makes this passage... Uh, a remarkable passage, but it's not the miracle that I'm impressed with here, and, and I, it's not the miracle that Jesus is impressed with here. What, what we see here that makes this passage so remarkable is it is a beautiful story of saving faith. That, that's what makes this a, a great passage. That's what makes everybody here want to get on the edge of their seat and listen to it today, because we're going to see this, this beautiful faith this great faith of this Syrophoenician woman. And I've entitled the sermon today, A Great Act of Great Faith. Because that's what we see. It's not the miracle that we want to pay attention to. That is, that is a supernatural, amazing miracle that Jesus performs. But what at the end of the passage, what really stands out is the great act of great faith by this woman. So let's all stand together. I want to read you Matthew chapter 15. I want to read verses 21 through 28. And we'll see this great act of great faith. And it's, a, it's an act of faith that all of us need to, to have a picture of in our minds and to see if we have faith like this woman did. So starting there in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 15, the Word of God says, and I like that, we open up the Word of God and we don't give opinions of man, we give what God says. So what God says in verse 21, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, and I've taught you guys what behold means, out of nowhere, this is surprising. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. She's demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, and this is a statement that you don't see anywhere else, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very same hour. See, a remarkable miracle, but what's even more remarkable is this woman's faith. And that's what I want us to see today as we look at a great act of great faith. So let's pray together and then we'll study this passage. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask very plainly, very clearly that you would use your word to do a great work in our lives. That you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive, and wills to obey. We ask for your help in understanding your word today. I ask for your help in preaching your word today. We are all here, me standing here as a preacher, I am powerless unless your spirit empowers me. I would be standing up here on my own with no hope if your spirit doesn't help me. And God is the same thing sitting in the pews. We are powerless and hopeless to understand this and to apply this unless your spirit takes it and does the work that you want it to do. So God, we desperately ask for your help today in studying your word. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. People do some crazy things to try and please God. I'm going to say that again because I don't know if, you, if we understand that. People will do some crazy things to try to please God. And I've written down a list. I looked it up on, online this week. Uh, crazy, out, out, outrageous acts of faith just because I knew what I was preaching here. And here's some examples that I, I found online. And li listen to these. these. These are some crazy things that people do to try to please God. That they do to try to be accepted by God. That they do uh, to, to try to take away God's frown on them and make it God smile on them. This, these are things that they do in order to please their God. Listen to this. There's a woman in India who sit down and tried to please God by letting the, the other ladies in the, in the village pluck every single one of her hairs out one at a time. She did that in order to please God. It probably, I'll say this, it didn't please God, but it did give her a headache. The second one, there are land jumpers on an island where they, they believe that the more dangerous their jump is, 
the more they'll please God. So they will build these high uh, platforms that looks like something my boys would build out of Legos. And the higher they go and the more flimsy it is, and they tie vines around their feet and they take off and just run and jump. And the more dangerous it is, the more God is pleased with them. Nonsense. There was a man in India who held his right arm up for four straight years. Four years while he slept, while he ate. The whole time, four years. I'm sure people gave him a lot of high fives. I'm sure people looked at him and said, you got a question? Four years he held his hand up in, in the air in order to please God. They thought that would please God. I've seen, I heard from a missionary myself that there are tribes in some islands that will throw their babies off cliffs to try to please God as a sacrifice. We see these are outrageous acts trying to please God, and none of it does. And you guys, we're all sitting there saying, well, that's outrageous. That's crazy. You can't please God by doing those things. But do you realize there are things that we do that we think will please God? We try to, watch this, we do a lot of, not crazy things, but, but we do some things that are common. We, we go to church and we think that pleases God. It's good to go to church, but is that what pleases God? Is that what takes God's frown away from you and makes it a smile? We, we fast, we pray. Martin Luther said in his time in the 1500s that they would go to Rome and climb steps on their hands and their knees just to please God. All these acts that they do to try to get closer to God, to find acceptance and approval with God, to get God somehow, in some way, to smile down on me. And I'll say this, everything that I've just named is a no, a no, a no, a no. It doesn't please God, I think it actually offends God when we do things like that to try to please Him. There's only one thing that the Bible says that pleases God. There's only one thing and one thing only. And I'm so thankful that it's so much simpler than, than jumping off some kind of platform with a vine around my ankles. It's so much simpler. Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't say we have to throw our firstborn child off a cliff in order to please God? Aren't you glad that we don't have to pluck all of our hairs out to please God? Aren't you glad we don't have to climb up steps on our hands and our knees to get God to smile at us? The Bible says there's only one thing that we can do to find acceptance before our God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please God. One thing and one thing only will please God. One thing and one thing only will gain God's approval, will get God's smile, will please God, and it's solely, exclusively found in faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that we can do. And, I, and you're sitting there saying, well, is that the only thing? You better believe it's the only thing. Watch this. I, I know you guys want me to prove it. I just gave you Hebrews 11, but watch this. Luke 7, 50, said that we had the woman with a past. She had a rough, sinful past. And Jesus looked at her and said, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. Your faith has saved you. Mark 5, 34, there's a woman with a hemorrhage that walked up to him and, and grabbed the hem of his garment and he looked at her and he said, your faith has made you well. Luke 18, 42, there's a blind man and Jesus looked at the blind man and said, your faith has saved you. I'll give you another one, Luke 17, 19. And this is just a handful that I looked up last night and said, I need to prove this to them. Luke 17, 19, a leper. And Jesus, when he came to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. I want you to know today, and there are children in this room, that the only, only way you can find acceptance before God is by faith. The only way you can gain God's approval, the only way you can, you can please Him, the only way that you can take God. And the Bible says that we're all under the wrath of God, so there's something we must do in order to gain God's approval. And the only thing we can do is faith in Jesus Christ. That's all that we have. And it's so simple and it's so easy. And, and that's what we see in this passage. This woman wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. She was just acting on great faith and she found acceptance before God. And that's what we're looking at today. He didn't find faith. Watch this. This goes along with, with our, our study. He didn't find faith in his hometown, Nazareth. They wanted to kill him. He didn't find faith with the religious elite. When they were there, he didn't look at them and say, Wow, great is your religious works. Great is your following the law down to every single dot and, and, and every single crossing of the T and dotting of the I. Great is your extra laws. Great is your religion. Great is your rituals. Great is all these things that you do. He didn't say, that pleases me and that pleases me. So he didn't find it there. He didn't find it with the Jewish crowds. Where did he find what pleased him? In the most unexpected place you could ever imagine. 
he went away from Israel, the promised land, and went into Tyre and Sidon, which is the enemy territory, territory out of the promised land. And he found it in a Syrio-Phoenician woman, the last place anybody would ever think. She had nothing to offer Jesus but great faith. And in that great faith, she found acceptance before God. And I love that. So let's look at it today. And I want you to see this great picture of great faith because all of us say we have faith. Everybody in here probably says, I have faith in Jesus. But let me ask you this. Is it this kind of faith? Because her faith is biblical faith. So I want you to compare your faith with her faith because her faith is biblical saving faith. So do you have that? Let's look at it. I broke it down into three headings for us as we look at a great act of great faith. And I want to show you, number one, as we go through this, I want to show you the prayer of great faith. And it's in verses 21 and 22. The prayer of great faith. It says there in verse 21, again, I've already, I've already covered that. Jesus went thence. He left the, the promised land and he departed and he went to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And when they heard Tyre and Sidon, it's going into enemy, enemy territory. You don't go there. That, that, that's, that's unclean land. But Jesus went, and it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan. So that's her first problem. She's a Canaanite. You say, who are the Canaanites? Her geography is very important here. She is a Canaanite woman, which means that she is an enemy of Israel. But you, go, you turn back to the Old Testament, and God told the Israelites to wipe out the Canaanites. They're the enemies. They're, they're, they're pagans. They're heathens. They're, they're not religious at all. Wipe them out. They're, they are the, the arch enemy of the Israelites, and that's who she is. That's number one. Also, see, she's, she's Greek. It says in Mark 7, she's Syrio-Phoenician. So she's of the Roman heritage. And Jews hated the Romans. They hated the Canaanites. They hated the Romans. So she's a heathen, pagan, idolater with no religious background at all. And she is a woman. She's checking every box. Everything that made her an outsider is being checked. I'll go through them. Canaanite, check. Syrophoenician, Roman, check. A Greek, check. Heathen, pagan, idolater, check. And she's a woman because in that culture, women were looked down upon. So check. She's everything that makes her an outsider. If anybody could be an outsider, it's her. She is so far from God that, that she couldn't even be near to God, close to God. Everybody viewed her as outsider, outcast. And then she has another problem. It's not just who she is. It's it's what's going on with her daughter. Look what it says there. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. She has a little girl. They say she's probably between 12 and 13 years old, something like that, preteen. And she is cruelly possessed. It would read, very evil devil. That's, that's how it reads, very evil devil. She has got a bad case of demons. I don't know if there's a good case of demons, but she has a bad case of demons. Uh, there may be an asymptomatic case of the demons. I don't know. But this one is, is very cruelly vexed. It is, is very grievously vexed. I mean, she's got a big problem with, with a demon pos uh, possessing her. That's what she says there. So we see that she has a, a great need. And nobody can help her with that need. She's probably tried every idol in Rome that she could find. She's went to every idol and bowed down and said, Help me, my daughter is grievously, is grievously vexed. And the, and the idol couldn't help her. She'd go to the temples. My daughter is grievously vexed. Can you help me? She's went everywhere she could go and tried everything that she could find and she's found no hope anywhere else at all so by her need driven by need she turns from her gods to the living god Amen. to the god who can hear and to the god who can see and to the god who has a heart that cares and to a god who has great power so this need was a great blessing because it drove her to jesus i think she would probably look back at her life and say one of the greatest blessings of her life was her daughter being demon-possessed. You say, how can you say that? It was the demon possession that drove her to Jesus. And anything that drives you to Jesus is a blessing. So she runs to Jesus. You see that? And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him. Who's him? Jesus. He's the object of her faith. He's the focus of her faith. Her faith. Our faith must have a trustworthy object. You can't just put your faith in anything. You can't put your faith in self. You can't put your faith in positive thinking. You can't put your faith in, in just anything that's out there. Like, I have a feeling that everything's going to work out. That's just throwing faith to the wind and saying, I just believe. What do you believe in? You've got to believe in something and someone that is trustworthy. 
She believes in Jesus. He's the right person. And she knows who he is. This isn't blind faith. Look what she says about him. She cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. This isn't blind faith. She knows who he is. She says, Lord, which means he's very God of very God. He is a sovereign authority over her land and all land. He is Kyrios. He is the one we bow down before. He is Lord. And he's also the the son of David, which means he's the Christ. So she knows enough here to put her faith in him. She's got that right. It's crystal clear that she knows who he is. She runs to him and says, Lord. And she says, Lord, three times in this passage. She knows that Jesus is God. She knows that he's the son of David, that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. And watch this. She knows that he has the power to do whatever she asks. And more. She didn't even bring her daughter with her. She knows that he can heal her from a distance. I don't know who's babysitting that demon-possessed girl, but I wouldn't want to do it. Can you imagine that? I've got four kids and it's hard to find a babysitter. Can you imagine? I don't want to get into that. And my mind goes that way. I'm like, who's watching that girl? She's grievously vexed. Will you stay and watch her for a little while? But that's faith. Faith has an object. Faith has a focus. You must put your faith in someone that is trustworthy. You can't just throw faith around. Faith must be in Christ. It must be in the Lord. It must be that He is fully capable to do what it is that you're asking Him to do. You must throw your full weight and trust in Him that He is her one and only hope. Hebrews 11.6, and I'm going to quote this throughout the sermon, without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is. You must believe in who He is. You've got to have some idea of who Jesus is before you can put your faith in Him. There's a lot of mindless faith going on in our world today where people just throw it out there like it's, um, I have faith that there is a God. That's not enough. Who is that God? We believe that God is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who our faith is in. That's who our our trust is in. That's who she's running to. She's turned from her idols in repentance and turned to Jesus in faith. Now watch this. The plea that she makes. What does she ask for? It says she cries and says, and I like that cry. It's a mother's cry. That's a major point here. I'll tell you what it means in a second. But there's no one that can cry like a mother can cry over her children. No one. I love my kids, but there's something about a mother, mother's love that they, when they are worried about a child, they are worried about a child. When they cry, they cry. And she begs for mercy. Have mercy on me. I would underline that phrase, have mercy on me. She's not demanding that Jesus do it. She's not declaring that Jesus is to do it for her. She goes to Jesus and she says, I don't deserve anything. I deserve nothing from you. Will you please heal my child? Mercy is unmerited, undeserved favor for the miserable. I'm miserable, God, and there's nothing I can do but beg you to please help me. Without one plea. So she shows us here how how to approach Christ by faith. And you need to see this. When we come to Christ, and I've went through every bit of this, but I want you to get the main point of this right here. This is our prayer of faith in that when we come to Christ by faith, it ought to be like a desperate mother. That's how we come to Christ. That's how we cry out to Christ, not just for our children to be healed. That's not what this is about. He's showing us saving faith. When we come to Christ and we say a prayer and we ask Him to save us, we ought to be so desperate deep down in our soul that He is our one and our only hope. We know who He is. We know what He can do. And we beg Him like a mother crying out for her child, Please save me! That's saving faith. And if you haven't done that, you might not be saved that you're desperate enough knowing I'm going to go to hell. I'm in my sin. And if Jesus doesn't help me, I have no hope. I've tried everything else. I turned my back on that. And I turned to Jesus in a desperate plea for salvation. Our saving faith must be, our coming to Christ must be like a desperate mother crying for a child. Is that you?
That's saving faith. That's a prayer of great faith. She's put it all on him. Every bit of it's on him. I'm trusting you with this. I have no hope. I've tried everything else. You're my only hope. Please save me. I have no plea. It's nothing but mercy. Please. Please. And how does Jesus answer her? We'd expect a quick answer. Him say, yes, done, boom, over, sermon over. You guys wish. But how does he answer her? And that's point number two. We see the, great, the prayer of great faith. And I want to show you the persistence of great faith. Watch this. I love the way this unfolds. The persistence. Because Jesus doesn't answer her immediately. First, he doesn't answer at all. Look what it says. But he answered her Look at verse 23. But he answered her, not a word. Not a word. He doesn't answer her. Augustine said the word spoke not a word. He gave her the silent treatment. Have you ever had somebody give you the silent treatment? I know I'm in trouble when I walk in and Steph doesn't say a word to me. He doesn't say a word, it says. Answered her not a word. She had gotten silence from the idols, and now she's getting silence from the living God. As she's sitting there crying out, a mother, desperate, please heal my child. Please answer me. Please get, show me mercy. And Jesus just keeps on walking. You read that, and you've got, you got to be realistic about it here. You've got to sit there and say, are the fountains of blessing closed? Is he on vacation? Is he uninterested? Because he's not acting very Christ-like here, is he? There's been other people come to him and, and they've said, please, and he does, boom, answer, boom, answer, boom, answer. And she, a desperate mother. I'll tell you what, if you, if you walk through the streets of a city and you see homeless everywhere and you see a man, and, I mean, I'm, and I'm not being uh, preferential here, but if you see uh, men and they're begging and they're pleading, help me, help me. But you look down and you see a mother begging. That's who your heart goes out to, isn't it? For me, it is. I'm like, ah, I get a job. Ah, I get a job. Oh, I'm going to help you. That's where a heart goes automatically to a mother with a child who's grievously vexed. And she's begging and she's begging. And Jesus just keeps on walking. What is he doing? Well, how does the disciples act? Look what they do. And the disciples came and begged him, saying, what did they say? Help her. Get rid of her, Jesus. Her cries annoy us. She's getting on our nerves. We're trying to walk and get somewhere, and it seems like she's everywhere. Help, help. She's not letting up. She's very persistent. She's relentless. She won't let him go until he answers her. So they look at it, get rid of her, Jesus. That's who the disciples were. They were always sending people away instead of welcoming people, people in. Get rid of her, Jesus. So what's he doing here? Why is Jesus not answering? That's a tough one. I believe he's trying to, he knows what's in, in her. He knows her heart. And he's trying to bring it to the surface. Not for his own good, but for her good and for the disciples' good. Because the disciples are quick to, as the crowds have been flocking for food, they'll sit there and say, real faith, real faith, thousands of real faith, real faith, real faith, real faith. Let's have, a, let's have them all around. And then she walks in, somebody who's an outsider, and the disciples say, send her away. That's not real. Oh, that happens in churches all the time. And Jesus is saying, they're not real because they'll be here today and gone tomorrow. <laughs> Watch this woman here. She's going to be here today. She's going to be here tomorrow. She will not let up. True faith is persistent faith. And Jesus is bringing her persistence, her relentlessness, to the, to out for everybody to see, for us to see who's real and who's fake. So now watch what happens. You say, well, okay, Jesus is testing her, trying to show her faith here. Because that's how we are, too, even when we pray. When was the last time you prayed for something and immediately you got it? God filled the church. And then Sunday morning, here it is, wow! It takes time. Faith. Well, this is what he does next. He gave her the silent treatment first. Verse 24 
But he answered her and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he finally answered her and he gives her this strange response where he says, I came here for Israel, not for you. I have a plan of salvation that doesn't include you. Wow. I mean, that's tough. I mean, I even wrote down in my notes here, ouch. (laughs) She's not included. Same thing he said in Matthew 10. As the disciples went out, he said, go to 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 the Jews and don't mess with the Gentiles. So he looks at her and says, you're not included in my plan. Surely that would run her off, right? Wouldn't it run you off if if somebody came to church and you looked at them and said, no, this church isn't for you. You would just run off. The pastor's mean. I'll post about him on Facebook. But watch what she does. He answered and said, "I'm, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she. Watch this. She didn't leave. Jesus can't get her to leave. Again, he knows her heart. He knows who she is. He knows she's not going to walk away. But watch this. And she came and she collapses at his feet. She worships. That's what the word worship is. It's bowing down. It's collapsing at his feet. It's falling down around his feet and grabbing at his feet and and refusing to let go. But that's what true faith does. It doesn't just come to Jesus. It, It holds on to Jesus. It clings to Jesus and refuses to let go. That's true faith. Nothing can drive it away. No trial, no tribulation, no trouble. No death, no sickness, no preacher offending them. Nothing can drive true faith away. She grabs on to Jesus and she refuses to let go. I will hold on to you. I mean, I can see in this picture that Jesus is trying to walk and she's holding on to his leg. My plan's not for you. I'm holding on. And she grabs at his feet, collapses there, and she says the most powerful prayer you'll ever hear. Put this in your prayer list. Pray this every day. The most heartfelt prayers are often the shortest prayers. And she says, Lord, help me. (laughs) That's it. Underline that. Highlight that. It's gone from, oh Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Our prayers are often like that. At, At the beginning, we have this long, drawn out King James Version prayer. And then the more desperate you get, it becomes, Lord, help me. Lord. She won't let go. She couldn't be stopped. He couldn't get rid of her. That's real faith. Lack of endurance is the number one sign of false faith. And Jesus is teaching that lesson here. Because he has had multitudes. And if you just follow along, he's talking about the souls. (laughs) Three out of the four souls didn't last. It didn't go in deep enough. And he's showing us one here that went in deep enough. And it held on and never let go. True faith perseveres. True faith hangs on. True faith clings to Jesus no matter what happens. That's true faith. That's why you read in the Bible, it says that they went out from us because they wasn't really of us. If they'll leave, if they'll be, and the word in the souls was, if they'll be offended, if they'll be a stumbling block, if they get upset, if life throws a curveball at them, if there's a pandemic and it runs them off, if there's riots and it runs them off, if America falls and that runs them off, it proves it wasn't real faith to begin with. If they can be run off from Christ, they never belong to Christ. She's clinging to them. And watch the next one. Because he, he, I think it just gets worse. Silence. You're not a part of my plan. <laughs> and now watch what he does. But he answered and he said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to give it to dogs. And I read that and I said, Did he just call her a dog? He did. He said, I've got blessings. Imagine me as a father, and we've got a dog. But imagine me and Steph, we go and we have dinner at our house. I come home every evening and Steph's got dinner ready. Imagine if if I walk in the house and Steph's sitting there feeding the the kids dinner to our dog. (laughs) And our kids are sitting there hungry. And they have nothing to eat. 
you would look at her and you'd say, that's not right. Feed the dog. Feed, I said the dog. <laughs> Feed the kids first and then let the dog have the leftovers. That's what everybody does. That's just the right thing to do, isn't it? And Jesus is saying that. I have blessings of plenty. But it wouldn't be right for me to take all my blessings and to give them to the dogs, the Gentiles, the Syrio-Phoenicians, the heathens, the pagans, and to leave my own children out. The children being the Jews. So yeah, he called, and, and I, I read some commentaries this week that said this, watch this. It said he called her a, a dog and he used the word for a little lap dog. He didn't use the one for a mangy stray dog. So that wasn't really an insult. And I thought, a dog's a dog. I mean, whether it's a little lap dog that you, and I see it all the time as I'm running the green belt. And if you do that, fine. Riding those bikes with a dog in the carrier behind. <laughs> that dog has it made. I, I want to jump in that thing. <laughs> I mean, because I'm running up behind. I, I shouldn't get into this. I'm running up behind. I'm like, oh, they got a cute little kid in there. And I look in there, I'm like, oh, hmm, not a kid. <laughs> the kid's walking. <laughs> I'm gonna get somebody mad. You're gonna get offended and leave. <laughs> but that's what Jesus is saying here. He calls her a dog. Gentiles were considered dogs. And if that happened in our time, and if it happened in any other group, whether it be in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all these groups that we've seen so far, all the, the crowd of Jews that has come just for the bread, if Jesus says anything out of line, anything they don't agree with, they walk away and never come back. It's happened repeatedly. that They'll, they'll be excited for a minute, and as soon as he says something they don't like, they're gone. So Jesus looks at her here and says, I'm not giving bread to dogs. Surely that'll run her off. Three times he's, he's told her, first silence, and then you're not a part of my plan, and then you're a dog. For most, that would be case over, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to be with you anyway. But that's not what she does. Again, we see it all the time in churches. And Jesus is teaching the disciples a lesson. If they don't last, they aren't real. And he ought to be teaching us a lesson. It's not just how you come to Christ, which was point number one. And I tried to make that point very clear. You've got to come to Christ. You've got to have a, a source that you trust in who is trustworthy. You've got to have a focus of your faith that is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, that, that has the power to do anything that we ask Him to do. You better believe we, He can save us and forgive us of our sins. So we come to Him. But true saving faith isn't just about coming to Him. It's about clinging to Him and refusing to let go. Clinging to Jesus. And watch what she does. She doesn't get offended and leave. People get offended and leave all the time. I couldn't tell you how many times people have come up to me and said, I used to be, I used to be, I used to be, I used to be, I used to be. You say, did they lose it? They didn't lose it. They never had it. They got offended and left. They may have came to Jesus, but if they didn't cling, if they didn't continue, it wasn't real. Watch what she does. I think this is the best point. This is what he's trying to show us here. I can take you back to Matthew 13 and show you the fourth soul. This is exactly what he's talking about. True saving faith. So he calls her a dog. And she said in verse 27, he couldn't get her to leave. He wasn't trying to get her to leave. He was bringing her faith out in the open for everybody to see. Faith is in our hearts. But when we persevere, it comes out in the open for everybody to see. I think the greatest proof of faith is somebody who's endured their entire life and, and they're at the end on their deathbed and they're still saving faith in Christ. Endurance, faithfulness. The just shall live by faith. If you are saved by faith, you will live by faith. You'll continue in this faith. You say, Josh, go ahead and tell us what she did here. Watch. She said, 
It didn't offend her. She didn't get mad and leave. <laughs> let, me, let me add this one too. How many people have you seen when it gets hard, they leave? And they think it's supposed to be just so easy. I come to Jesus, and the first little bit is easy, ain't it? I remember when I first got saved, it was, it was just the, the most spectacular thing in the, in the history of the world for me. I mean, I was smiling, I was happy. I mean, you come, you come to church and everybody's like, what's wrong with him? Oh, he just got saved. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just amazing. But you see a lot of people that'll, that'll do that, but the amazement of, of the beginning isn't proof of its reality. It's when it gets hard. It's when... Marriage struggles come. It's when your kids rebel. It's when your preacher makes you mad. I'll say this. How many times have you seen people leave the faith because of a preacher? If a silly little preacher will make you leave the faith, it wasn't real to begin with. And silly little preacher, I'm talking about me. If I could make you leave, and I didn't even call you a dog... I've had people leave because I give them a silent treatment. He didn't talk to me. If that'll make you leave, it gets hard. You hear something you don't like. <laughs> How many times have people left for that? They had the crowds and John that all flocked after he fed them. And then he stands up and he preaches to them. And he shows them the truth about salvation. And they all walk away. And he looks at his disciples and says, you going to leave too? He couldn't get this woman to go away. And she looked at him after he called her a dog. And a dog is a derogatory term that they use for... The Jews would sit and look at the Gentiles and laugh and say, Look at those dogs. Lap dog, mangy dog, all dogs. You're a dog. And she looks at him and she says, here, verse 27, You're right, God. You're right, Lord. I am a dog. Yes, I am unworthy. Yes, I am outside the covenant. Yes, I'm not one of your people. Yes, I have no rights. I have no privileges. I'm not your child. Yes, I'm a heathen. Yes, I'm, a, I'm an idolater. Yes, I'm a woman. Yes, I check all those boxes. Yes, I know who I am. I know what I am. I know how bad I am. I'm not going to stand up and say, look how great I am. But look what I've done. Look at my works. Look how good I am and how moral I am. I'm not going to stand up and say, look at me. I bow down and I humbly submit. Yes, I'm as bad, if not worse than you say that's faith and she says but even dogs eat the crumbs all I'm asking for all I'm begging for is just a crumb I deserve nothing but by your mercy will you give me just a crumb I want to show you a couple things here before I move to the last point when I say a couple I mean five we learn here we see here five aspects of great faith I told everybody on Wednesday night I had ten but I didn't think you'd sit through ten so I just narrowed it down to five her faith is humble and our faith must be humble when Jesus approached the Pharisees and the religious people they were full of pride thank God I'm not like she is but when he approached her it was yes I'm a dog I'm entitled to nothing. I demand nothing. I deserve nothing. We are all beggars begging Christ for the crumbs from his table. That's what we are. So it's a humble. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Number two, it's relentless. Nothing could stop her. She had a true faith deep down in her heart that wouldn't let up. That No matter how many doors were slammed in her face, she kept on knocking. That she would sit and say, I'll perish knocking. I'll go to hell knocking. I'll, go, I, I'll keep on asking. I'll keep on begging. I'll keep on. I, I'm going to cling to him no matter what. It was a relentless faith. And that's the kind of faith that we need. Relentless. I refuse to let up. It was submissive over and over and over and over and over. She said, Lord, 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 Lord. She's around his ankles at his feet begging. You're in complete control. You are the Lord. It's a trusting faith. She knew he would help and could help. And lastly, it's a pleading faith. It's desperate. It's not waiting. It's right now. It's in this moment. I am desperate for you to answer me. There's not a lot of desperation in churches anymore. 
When's the last time you saw somebody walk the aisle in desperation? I'll perish if you don't save me. I'll die in my sin if you don't save me. Where's desperation? True faith is desperate to be saved. And it's this faith, the humble, relentless, submissive, trusting, pleading faith. That faith gets an answer from Jesus. And that's point number three. I've shown you the prayer of great faith, the coming to Jesus. I've showed you the persistence of great faith in clinging to Jesus. Now I want to show you the power of great faith that gets what it asks for. Verse 28. Then finally, Jesus answered and said unto her. This is a wow statement. I believe he's happy to see her. I believe he's got a smile on his face. I believe his heart is warmed. I believe he's so tired of all the religious hypocrisy that he is happy to see someone with true faith. He's been seeing all the fakes, and now he sees the real. Can you imagine that's what he's looking for in the world today? He looks at the fakes and the the religious hypocrites and the the ones who just come for the show and the ones who are just around every now and then. And he says, I'm tired of that. That that makes me sick. I, I don't want that. That doesn't impress me. You being in church without true saving faith doesn't impress Jesus. You fasting, you praying, you giving, you serving without true saving faith, it doesn't impress and it doesn't please Jesus. It's faith that pleases Jesus. It's trusting in Him. He loves to be trusted. He loves to be trusted. I'm sure He's got a a huge smile on His face. Eyes lit up and He looks at her and He says, Oh woman, can you imagine how his, His face has changed now? Silence. You're not a part of my plan. You're a dog. And now it's become, Oh woman, Arms open. Great is thy faith. I think he's looking at his, his disciples and he's saying, Boys, here's saving faith. And when you go out after I'm gone, this is what you're looking for. Not the religious hypocrites, not the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Not the the crowds that will follow me for food and for miracles. This is what you're looking for. This is the good soul. This is the ones that are real. This is what you have to have. I'm sure Judas is looking at that saying, Ooh, how long did Judas last? Three years. You say, ah, he had to be real. No, no, no. When it got hard and he realized that Jesus was going to go to a cross and die, I'm out. So even one out of the twelve didn't have saving faith. And Jesus says, and he commends her, isn't this what you want from him? What was it that got this commendation? What was it that got this applause? And that's, that's what this is. Great is thy faith. I mean, this is something, the praise that is unmatched in the New Testament. It is unparalleled anywhere else. You won't find Jesus saying this, but to maybe one other person in the entire New Testament Gospels. And he looks at her, this Syrophoenician, this Greek, Roman, Canaanite, heathen, pagan, idolatrous woman, and he looks at her who had nothing to offer him at all. No religious background, no religious works, no morals, nothing. And he looks at her and he says, I applaud you, great is your faith. All that she had to offer was faith, and that was accepted by God. That's all we have to offer. But it must be this faith here. And it pleased him. And he's not seen much of this. Disciples had he case. I got a list. I won't give it to you. Of how many times he's looked at the disciples and said, Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. He looked at the, the Pharisees and he said, You have no faith. And he looks at her and says, You have great faith. You know what the word great is in the Greek? And I know you don't care, but I love it. Mega humongous, amazing faith. Faith that would move a mountain. Great is your faith. She has now 
by faith, seized a hold of Jesus. She has by faith embraced him, taken a hold of him, and we see clearly now her heart and her faith in Jesus. And it is great. It's exactly what we need. And then he answers her. We could have stopped it there. I told you this was a, this was a miracle here. We haven't even talked about it yet. But I, I, I wanted to stop it at great is thy faith. Because that, that was just a, the, the, the most important part for me. But then he says, it's great is your faith. And then the answer. She's got him. She's clinging to him. She's, she's holding on to him. She's embraced him fully. And then he says, you get what you ask for. He's rewarding her. Her faith opened the door to blessing. Faith opens the door to the blessings of God. That's how I probably should have started the sermon. It's not your works. And that's what it is to go to church. It's good to go to church. But it's, a, it's not a work that opens the door to blessings of God. Prayer is great. But if you're using that to be accepted by God and open the door of blessings, it's faith that opens that door. You don't have to be a Jew to open that door. You don't have to be a Baptist to open that door. You don't have to be an independent Baptist to open that door. You just have to have faith in Jesus Christ to open that door. I love that. Charles Spurgeon said, The Lord of glory has now surrendered to the faith of this woman. Hebrews 11.6, I'm going to quote it for the third time today. Because look what it says. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. He who comes to Him must believe that He is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is now rewarding her and showing her supernatural power. Because he says, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. In a moment with words from a distance, this little girl was freed from a disturbing evil. The mom wasn't even there. The mom was there with Jesus. And Jesus looked at her and says, great is your faith. It's done. I don't know how far she had to walk to get back to her daughter, but can you imagine in her mind, she's sitting there saying, I, I don't even think she's saying, let it be, let it be, let it be. I believe as she's walking, she's saying, it is, it is, it is, it is, it is. And she walked in, and there sit her daughter, completely free from evil, sitting there in her right mind. And she says, my faith was definitely in the right one. I'm glad I turned from dead idols to the living God. I came to him, I clinged to him, and I received from him that saving faith, diligence that gets the reward. Jesus had done what no dead idol could ever do, and he did it in response to faith. And he showed her such mercy here. She didn't deserve any of it, just like we deserve nothing from it. She asked for crumbs. <laughs> And now she's feasting at the master's table. And that's what we do. We just ask for crumbs. And we come to him, just save me. I don't ask for much. Just forgive me. Just help me to escape hell and enter into heaven. I just want your crumbs. I just want, I don't even need a big place in heaven, right? I'll sit in the corner somewhere, just let me in. Just let me in. I don't deserve it. I'm full of sin. I'm worse than she is. If she's a Canaanite, and she's a Syrophoenician, Roman, Greek, speaking, idolatrous, heathen woman, then what are we? We're so much worse than her. All we can do is beg for crumbs from his table. And oh, how great he is, not just to give us crumbs, but to give us all the heavenly blessings. We can feast at the master's table. I'm not a part of the covenant. I'm not a Jew. We're Gentiles from Big Stone Gap, Virginia. And he says, here it is. Enough bread to go around. I love that about this story. He's not silent. He's not indifferent to our cries. He hears us and he cares about us. That's what this teaches us. He's not sitting down looking at Jews saying, only you. He's opened his arms to the whole wide world. He's got arms that go around the globe. Not just to the, not just to the Jew. Romans 1.16 says that. For the gospel is the power of God into salvation. To the Jew first and also to everybody else. His arms are open wide. That's what this is showing us here. 
He didn't just come for the Jews. He also came for the Gentiles. Gentile Josh, door wide open. I love that. Salvation goes to the ends of the earth. He is one Savior for all of mankind. Matthew 28 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Revelation 5, at the end, all the world is represented around the throne in heaven. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation is at the throne of God praising the Lamb that was slain because He gave us more than crumbs. He gave us a feast in salvation. I'll give you another one and we'll close. He has enough to go around. His mercy is in abundant supply. It's plenty for every single one of us. And how do you get it? How do you get His abundance? How do you get His blessings? How do you get salvation? How do you get forgiveness? How do you get into heaven? How do you get a smile? How do you, get, how do you please Him? How do you get acceptance? How do you get approval? How do you get that? How do you receive that? By faith. That's been the whole point of the whole sermon is that it's by faith that we please God. And only by faith. And everything that we do after, because I mean, you guys are sitting there saying, oh, Josh says we don't have to go to church. That doesn't please God. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. We don't have to give. No, 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 no. We don't have to serve. No, no. Why do we do these things? Because the just shall now live by faith. And it's by faith that we go to church. It's by faith that we give. God, I don't have a whole lot to give, but it's by faith that I'm going to give a little bit of what I have back to you. It's by faith that we do that. It's not that I gave God, applaud me. No. I'm at church today. I bet God is pleased with me. No. Faith pleases God. And it's faith in Jesus and His works, not in me and my works. That's what pleases Him. So let me close with this. The Puritans used to say, and I think you guys know that I love the Puritans. From the 1700s and early 1800s, the Puritans were, were pure. <laughs> Thus the name. They used to say this, and I'm closing. There are two great acts of great faith in life. There are two. Two great acts of great faith. The first act is taking a hold of Christ by faith. That is the first great act of faith. That you come to Him and you give Him. This is, and it is a great act. It's simple, but it's so, so great. Because you come to Jesus and you give Him your soul, you give Him yourself, you give Him your sin, you give Him your all. There's nothing that you hold back. You give Him everything that you are, everything that you ever will be, and your entire eternity. That is a great act of great faith. And we all have to do that one. That's big. I mean, that, that is huge. And everybody in here needs to do that. I plead with you today to do this first great act of great faith in giving your soul, your sin, yourself, your all to Jesus and cry out, have mercy on me. I'm giving everything that I am to Jesus. That is a great act of great faith. And there's people who don't do that, who hold back from Jesus and don't give Him much at all. They give Him a Sunday every now and then. No, you give Him everything that you are. That's saving faith. That is a great act of great faith. It is huge. Don't let people tell you that's a small step. It's huge. It's as if you're standing on the top of the tallest building. I wish I had an Alexa in here right now to ask her what it is. Alexa, what's the tallest building? Nobody do that right now. But you, And you're standing at the top of it. And you're taking a step off of it trusting that you'll be caught. But you're taking a step out into eternity and trusting that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, has the power and capability and care to catch you. That's a big step of faith. That's huge. You're not taking a step and saying, I'm going to start going to church. That's not it. I'm going to get baptized. That's a big one, but that doesn't save. I'm going to start giving. No! I'm giving my all to Jesus. That is a great act of great faith. 
There's a lot of people who claim faith that don't have true faith. That's big. And when you do that, I guarantee you, take it to the bank. He'll save you. You know why? He loves being trusted. I don't have time to get into it, but I, I love it when my kids trust me. Don't you? I love it. I've, I've told you stories after stories of, of my kids in, in swimming pools. Jump to dad. And they take off and they just jump. Eyes closed. And daddy catches them. You know why? I love when my kids trust me. I love it. And when we, by faith, take that big act of great faith, Jesus smile on his face. Oh, Josh, great is your faith be it unto you. I'll catch you. I'll catch you in salvation. I'll catch you today. I'll catch you tomorrow. And I want to move to the second great act of great faith. The Puritan said the first one was taking hold of Christ by faith. The Puritan said the second one was trusting Christ when we pass into eternity. That's a big boy. When you close your eyes and you say, I don't know what's on the other side. But I'm trusting Christ to take care of me. None of us have been there. We don't know. That's when faith is really figured out right there. When there's no fighting and clawing, but it's just... I heard about a mansion He has built for me in glory. I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. And you close your eyes and say, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Close that eyes in eternity and trust that he'll take care of you and everything you've given him. That's a great act of great faith. But you can't do the second one unless you've done the first one. There are people who will close their eyes and go into eternity and they've never come to Christ cling to Christ, continued in Christ, and in the end, they won't be rewarded by Christ. You must do the first one before you'll ever be ready to do the second one. So I urge you today, urge you today to come to Christ. You sitting in here today, I beg you, I plead with you to do what she did. Come to Him. Knowing who He is, He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Knowing what He can do and what He will do. And I urge you as Christians here today to keep on clinging to Christ. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the next day holds. Who knows in 2020 what the next month holds. But I know what I know, what I know to be true. That we in this church and those who have true faith will be clinging to Christ the whole way through. And that when we close our eyes, whenever that may be, that he will reward us and we'll be eating at the master's table. And it won't be crumbs. And how do we get that? By faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. I urge you today, sitting in the pews, come to Christ. Come to him by faith and he will save you. I urge these people sitting online today, and I know there's people watching us, and you may, you may not think about it, but I spend a lot of time thinking about the people online, we had 900 views last week of the sermon. So I want to talk to them. If you're sitting in your home and you're watching this, whether it be right now, live, or maybe later in the week, if somebody shares this, I urge you today, where you are, you don't have to be in church, you don't have to walk an aisle. All you have to do is come to Christ by faith and pray what she prayed. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Lord, please, I, I want your blessings. Come by faith and you'll be saved. That's all that it takes. Aren't you glad you don't have to throw your firstborn into, off a cliff? Aren't you glad you don't have to pluck your hair out today? Aren't you glad I didn't come and say, you, you want to be right with God? Come to the altar. Get down here and I'll pluck your hair out. 
Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that I, I didn't say, come up here and, and when you leave you have to hold your arm up in, the, up in the air for four years? Aren't you glad that all you have to do is believe in Jesus? That's it. It's so simple, but it's so great. It's a great act of great faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for how simple it is to, to believe in you, to trust in you, to give our all to you, that you don't ask anything of us but faith. That's it. Faith today, faith tomorrow, faith in, in, in eternity as, as we pass from this life into the next. Faith, faith, faith. And God, I know that the, the adults in here, the regulars, they, they may know this. They hear me preach it every single week. But there's kids in here today that need to know this. There, there's, they need to understand that the only thing that makes them acceptable before God is faith in Jesus Christ. May you implant that in their minds and in their hearts today. And may it hold there that they know that truth. Sola fide, by faith alone, by faith only. There's no other religion like that. By faith alone. And may you implant in us faith. Please, by your spirit, move today. Work in hearts, work in minds, work in wheels. Whether it be in this room or online. And may we, may we respond today by faith. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.